0: Pastor Chris's podcast. Kelly and I thoroughly enjoyed being in, El, in uh, Puerto Rico last weekend to celebrate our 27th wedding anniversary. And thank you, to, thank you for allowing me the freedom to be able to do that and to be away from time to time. Thank you to David for doing such a wonderful job filling in while I was gone. It was a much needed vacation. Puerto Rico is a, a beautiful place an interesting place. I didn't know a lot about it before we decided to go. We were just looking for a, a, a getaway and found some cheap tickets and to like, five different places. And we said, all right, which one of these seems like the most interesting? So we chose Puerto Rico. And, uh, but in the, in the process of doing that, I said, well, I'd like to know a little bit more about what we're getting ourselves into. What is this place? So learned a little bit about it. Puerto Rico is an American territory. And poor Puerto Ricans are proud American citizens. The island has a distinctive Latin Caribbean flavor to it, but it is very much American. 90% of the people that we encountered spoke perfect English. When when you would first meet them, they would start speaking Spanish, and you would say, I'm sorry, I don't understand Spanish, and they would switch to perfect English, just as perfect as what you might hear in Georgia, except they didn't say y'all, but they, you know, they they spoke really good English, and they live very much like Americans live on the mainland, with one exception. So, as we drove to the airport on Monday early in the morning, we had an early flight out, so we're driving down a major highway at 4:30 in the morning. It's a little bit it's dark. There's it a little bit of rain coming down. And um, we're trying to get to the airport. And as we come to a traffic light, I uh, saw a car, as I'm stopping, car is slowing down and then just goes right through it. And I thought, oh my goodness, that guy just ran a red light. I'm glad that he didn't cause an accident. And then, because we're on a major highway, there's a lot of cars. All of the cars are doing that. They would slow down a little bit as they came to the traffic uh, light, and then they would go through it. And you've probably experienced this if you've ever been out really early in the morning. There's no cars on the road, right? And you get to a red light and you sit there and there's no cars going, but you stay there for five minutes until the light turns green and then you go. They don't do that in Puerto Rico. In Puerto Rico, they slow down and, and then they just go through it. And at first I thought, well, that's not the way we do it in Georgia and that's not the way I'm gonna do it. Now, I'm stopping at these red lights. But then it kind of dawned on me we're going at 65 miles an hour down this highway. And if I slow down and stop and nobody else does, that could be dangerous. And so I decided, when in Rome or Puerto Rico, do like they do. So it was the most ironic thing in the world to uh, gingerly be running red lights in order to avoid an accident. I thought that was really weird. But it got me thinking about road rage because I was thinking these people are gonna have some road rage with this gringo that's stopping at the red lights when nobody else does because that's not their custom. Road rage is a modern phenomenon where drivers get angry and lose control and lash out at other drivers because of the stress and frustration they have uh, experienced during driving. Most of the time, Road rage only leads to uh, verbal attacks, (laughs) some words, heated words exchange, or maybe an obscene hand gesture. But sometimes it can spill over into physical violence. I've heard tales of people who cut one another off or slammed on their brakes, even people that have gotten out of their cars and gotten into a physical alteration or pulled out a gun and been shot because of road rage. There's something about being inside of a car that makes otherwise polite, mild-tempered people feel empowered to lash out at other people in ways that they would never do if they met them face-to-face on the sidewalk and they had to look them in the eye. But because they're in a car and they've got a a metal cage around them, they somehow feel like they can act that way. Uh, We see something similar on social media. People will sometimes lash out and call people names and speak rudely to one another on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, in ways that they would never do, uh, act if they were with someone in person. In past centuries, we might have been more polite and kept mean words to ourselves because we were speaking with people primarily face to face. It wasn't necessarily that people were less irritable in the past but uh, maybe down in their heart they were irritable but they would never express it openly and then came the telephone where you could speak with someone who was miles and miles away not face-to-face with you and maybe you might even speak to an operator or someone on a customer service representative and you were not with them face-to-face and suddenly people felt safe enough to say things over the phone that they would never say in person. They might even take the phone and get angry and <laughs> slam it down and hang up on someone. How rude is that? I'll about You never do that with the phones nowadays. It just doesn't have the same flavor as <laughs> when you could slam it down on the phone. It's not the same. And um, people began to do that. And then people now do the same thing sometimes over the internet. Anger, irritability, and unloving attitudes often hide down deep in the human heart. Whether you express them openly or not, they are sometimes there. But what the world needs is love. And the kind of love that our world needs is revealed in the Bible. One particular place that I think it is expressed well is in 1 Corinthians 13, and that's what we've been studying in this series. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7 says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and keeps no record of of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, and always is hopeful and endures through every circumstance. And last week, David did a great job teaching that love is not jealous or boastful or proud. And today I want to tell you that love is not rude, it does not demand its own way, and it is not irritable. Someone who is irritable is grumpy, easily annoyed, or made angry. They are like the road-raging driver who is so quick to lash out with angry words at the annoying driver who's driving too slow in front of them, or maybe stopping at the red light in Puerto Rico. People can get irritated when they don't get their own way. Irritated people are impatient, and can be downright rude. One person's rudeness irritates someone else, and then go, who then goes out and lashes out at someone else, and before long, everyone is irritated. It's contagious. And irritation and anger sometimes can be a slippery slope down which we slide into being more aggressive and being enraged. But real love stops all of that. When we love, when we really love the way God loves us, we find that love does not demand its own way. And love is not irritable, but rather it is easygoing and patient and gentle. Jesus once used love to quench a spark of irritation among his disciples, So that rather than allowing it to catch fire and spread, he stopped it. This story I want to read is from Luke 10, verse 38 to 42. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister, Mary, sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted By the big dinner she was preparing, she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. The Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. Have you ever experienced something like this? Probably most people have at some point or another. Are you typically more like Mary in the story or Martha? Are you the one doing all the work or the one sitting there having a good time? Martha was annoyed that, her, that she was doing all the work while her sister was sitting at Jesus' feet. She got irritated and she went to Jesus to complain. And I want you to notice verse 40, which is on the screen. She goes to Jesus and she calls him Lord. And that's a great way to start. It's always a good thing to recognize that Jesus is Lord and to begin our conversations with him in that way. But then, in frustration, she accuses the Lord. She asks a question. But it's not really a question. Wives will sometimes do this to their husband. And they're usually right when they do it. But, Mary, but Martha is talking to Jesus here. She's, she, she asks, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Martha uses the question to point out what she thinks should be obvious to Jesus. Really, really, She was accusing Jesus. She was saying, my sister is making me do all the work and you aren't doing anything about it. And then she proceeds to tell the Lord what he ought to do. Now, that's pretty bold, don't you think? I don't want to be too hard on Martha. She was a good woman. She welcomed Jesus into her home. She was trying to do, uh, I'm sure it was an overwhelming situation. She's trying to be a good hostess to make sure everyone is fed and has what they need. And it had to be a big meal. There were lots of mouths to feed Jesus and all his disciples, that's 13 people, plus there may have been other people accompanying them. And can you imagine how you would feel if somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 25 people showed up at your house wanting to be rested and refreshed? And so she's trying to do what she can do. And it it could have been a, a gathering of quite a few number of people, and she's trying to take care of her, all the while her sister is sitting at Jesus' feet. And you know, Sisters know how to get on their sister's nerves. Or brothers know how to get on their brother's nerves. Siblings know how to get on each other's nerves more than anybody else. But thankfully, Jesus didn't get irritated with Martha. He loved Martha. He loved her sister Mary. Rather than escalating the situation, Jesus said the truth, but he said it in a gentle way. He speaks tenderly. He says, My dear Martha, my dear... Some some translations put it, Martha, Martha. You know, it's kind of got that feeling to it. He's calling her name, he loves her, he's tender with her, but he also rebukes her. He appreciates what she's doing, or at least he appreciates that she's trying to help in the best way that she knows how, by taking care of the meal. But Jesus also conveys that what he really wants... The food that really feeds him is to teach and to have students soaking up the good news of God's kingdom that he came to the world to give. This is his purpose, his purpose to coming, his purpose for coming was not to eat a great meal. His purpose for coming was to tell people about God's love and the kingdom of heaven. And while Mary and while Martha is worried and upset Over all these details about this meal, Mary is sitting there listening at the feet of God's one and only Son. And the scripture tells us that love does not demand its own way. When we try to demand our own way, we are easily frustrated. And when we're frustrated, we become irritable. When we're irritable, we can be rude. We might even say something for which we will be sorry later or do something for which we will be sorry later. We might even go to the Lord like Martha and try to rebuke him saying something like, now listen here, Lord, you should have told so and so to do what I wanted them to do. In that moment, We're not loving God. We're not loving our neighbor. We're being selfish. We're demanding our own way. We're demanding our own way. And it might not be the most important thing. Our own way may not even be the right way. We are so distracted by all our plans and concerns that we're not thinking about anyone else. Martha was so distracted and concerned by all the details of fixing the big dinner and feeding her guests that she missed the main point of the gathering, which was to be together, which was to be in the presence of Christ, God's Son. Ironically, the very best hosts that I've ever known, people who truly have a spiritual gift of hospitality, somehow they know how to make people feel welcome. They don't get wrapped up in the details of serving so much so that they lose sight of the people. People with a real spiritual gift of hospitality, somehow they know intuitively that it's not about the food, it's not about the music that's playing in the background or the candles that are on the table, the decorations. What it's really about is the people and making the people feel special and comfortable and and welcome. And if you find out that the food that you spent three hours on, you know, they're allergic to it, who cares? You throw the food out because it's about the people. It's not about how great a cook you are. That's the people that are the best with hospitality, people that know that. But when we get so wrapped up, In accomplishing all our own big plans, we may not even notice our big plans have nothing to do with what Jesus really wants. And whose plans do you think are more important? Ours or Christ's? So, if you find yourself demanding your own way, it might be a good time to check yourself and ask, have I drifted off course? Does it really matter? Why am I so upset and frustrated? What's the main point of all of this anyway? Have I abandoned love in this situation for the sake of something that I really want? Am I demanding my own way? The kind of love our world desperately needs is patient and kind. It is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. That's still only half the definition of love from 1st Corinthians 13. But can you imagine how much better our world would be if we just followed the first half of that? Well, if you are a Christian, if you call Jesus Lord, you are called to live this way. The early Christians changed their world through this kind of love. They started out as just a handful of people Living in a hostile, unliving, unloving, unchristian world. Now well, they didn't let that stop them. You see, Jesus didn't say, go out there and love the people who are loving to you. That's not what he said. He said, love everyone. He even said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And that's what those early Christians did, and it changed their world. And that's what Christians are called to do today, to love everyone, even our enemies. And when we do that, it changes our world and makes it a better place. So we need to get out there. We need to love. Maybe you aren't a Christian today. Maybe not yet. Maybe you're interested or you're considering or you're curious, but you're not necessarily have never made a decision to follow Christ. I'd like to invite you to do that today. Start today. Jesus loved you so much that he gave his own life for you. And there's no greater love than that. His love is so deep and so powerful, it can free you from sin and shame. It frees you from the wounds of the past and gives you a whole new future. You can make a fresh start through Jesus' love. You see, Jesus has already won. His love will change your life and empower you to change others too. He's already won. You say, well, they nailed him to a cross, put him in a grave, but he didn't stay there. He is not in the grave anymore. He rose to new life. And if you decide to follow him, you are included in the victory that he won that first Easter Sunday. There won't be anything that this world can do to you because you've already won. Even if the evil forces of this world kill you, they still can't defeat you because you have eternal life. And so living is serving Jesus and sharing his love with the world. And dying is going home to live forever, celebrating Jesus' love in the holy presence of God, where there will be no more sinning and no more suffering and no more sickness and no more death. The Bible says in Philippians 1.21, Living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. So, if you've never decided to be a Christian, I encourage you to do that today. And if you are a Christian, I would encourage you to change the way you view the world. Stop being so afraid. Understand that you've already won, you've got absolutely nothing to lose. Do you realize that? You have nothing to lose. What can anyone do to you? (laughs) Send you to Jesus? Send you to God's holy presence? Praise the Lord! What do I have to be afraid of? Let us pray. Father God, I thank you for the love that you have shed in our lives through Jesus Christ. I thank you for the victory that you've won through him. For those who are listening today who've never decided to follow Christ, I pray your Holy Spirit would speak to them right now. Declare to them their deep need of Christ and win their heart to you for your sake for your glory and for their eternal benefit and for those of us who are following christ we pray that you would instill in us your love more firmly so that we can love people not with a weak feeble loosey-goosey warm and fuzzy kind of love that the world teaches but a real sincere self-sacrificing love that can only come from you Fill us with that love so we can share it with our world. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.